Hey, welcome to Long Distance Sisters. I'm Tori. I'm McKenna. And I'm Serena. Come chat with us while we're far apart. Okay, let's get started. Hi, welcome to the Long Distance Sisters podcast featuring Diane, our mother. Today, well not today, well today, I'll be talking about my undergraduate thesis project I did this past semester at my university of New Hampshire. And I thought, well, I spent all this gosh darn time making it, so I might as well present it as many times as I possibly can. I haven't presented it in like a month, so I haven't practiced, so I'm sure it'll be fine. It involves the Yellowstone supervolcano. So yeah, we're gonna we're gonna talk about that. Any questions? There's a pop quiz at the end, but any questions? No, but mom's on her phone and she's setting up her note taking. <laughs> um, no technology in class. Okay. <laughs> okay. Tori's also on her phone. Is everyone on their phone? I'm not. <laughs> okay. So my project was environmental and societal impacts of a potential Yellowstone eruption on New England. And I focused on New England because like my school's in New England you'll see. And all the references, this, this first slide, if you can see it and are watching, was like my poster and it has all the references like in the appropriate places the next few slides won't. And then I'll have my actual full references at the end. But yeah, so beautiful, beautiful. I do think it's a pretty poster. I wanted to keep it, but they hung it up in the project goals. So to investigate significant eruptions in human history, to evaluate Yellowstone's potential impact, get off your phones. <laughs> um, and that's basically because we haven't had an eruption the size of Yellowstone super eruptions during human history. So we don't actually know what Yellowstone would do if it did erupt, at least if it erupted in a super eruption sense, which I'll explain a little more later. Um, to determine what could happen to New England if Yellowstone supervolcano were to erupt, because we don't have any evidence that that material from the eruption has reached New England today. It's not around if it ever did reach it, so we don't know like what kind of impacts it would have. And then just longer term climate impacts. To evaluate predictions of ashfall models in terms of environmental societal effects. So if these ashfall models show that ash does reach New England, uh, what would that do and how much would New England receive? And then to develop mitigation strategies in order to limit the devastating effects of an eruption. You can't stop an eruption, but you can decrease um, its hazards. So we'll talk about the history of Yellowstone. Wow, America's first national park, 150 years old. Uh, and the history of Yellowstone is... Uh, longer than we realize and that volcanism hasn't remained in that spot over time. Yellowstone is what's known as a hot spot. So it is a volcanic spot that appears to move. And the Hawaiian Islands are an example of another hot spot. They don't have they don't have to happen along like a plate, a tectonic plate boundary. They can happen anywhere. So like the Hawaiian Islands happen in the middle of the Pacific plate, I think. And then this hot spot first formed like 56 million years ago off the western coast and has appeared to have moved northeastward to where it now is um, on that corner of Idaho, Montana, and Wyoming in uh, 
Yellowstone National Park, which is this outlined thing right here. This is the park. And then this black outline is the Yellowstone caldera. But there are really three calderas like in this park and it's the caldera complex. However, the hot spot is not moving. It's really the overriding tectonic plate that is moving. So really the hotspot's a stationary place in the plume. It's just the tectonic plates over top of it that are moving. And so in when you're comparing it to Hawaii, Hawaii has a much more effusive eruption. So it's not as explosive. And that's because in Hawaii, you have to go through uh, oceanic crust, which is thinner and more mafic, or it's like a more basaltic based crust. Whereas when you have something like the Yellowstone hotspot, it's moving through continental crust, which is a lot thicker and then it's a lot more rich in silica. And then when you have magma that becomes very silica rich, it can become more viscous. So it can trap more gases. And then when the eruption does occur, it can release those gases really fast because they've been trapped in that liquid and then the pressure and they degas and everything, yada, yada, yada. So the Yellowstone complex, as we know, it has erupted three times. The first time was about 2.029 million years ago. I can't remember what they're called exactly. Henry Forbes caldera, Henry Forbes tough. I don't know. It doesn't matter. We're talking about Yellowstone. Um, the next one and the least, the one that released the least amount of material was 1.285 million years ago. And then the most recent was 0.639 million years ago. So it's been a while since we've had one. And from these eruptions in this figure, it's showing like distribution of ash of Yellowstone's past eruptions and then other ones that happened in the U.S. And it, you know, it clearly shows that that ash is not over the U.S. However, this is based off of like geologic evidence, not predictions, like based off wind parameters and how much is released. It's just like, oh, well, we found evidence of ash right here from this eruption. So this is as far as it goes as we know, but the East Coast in New England is not covered in ash. Oh, and then a super eruption is just the largest type of volcanic eruption. One hasn't occurred in human history, but they're, yeah, they're extremely explosive, very rare, and they often form calderas, which are, they look kind of like a crater, but it's not formed based on like an impact. It's formed based on you release a lot of material very quickly so then the ground like depresses that creates caldera yes so you mentioned that the oceanic crust is thinner mm -hmm. and that like the hawaiian yeah. islands have more <laughs> effusive volcanic eruptions mm -hmm. does that mean that island like oceanic volcanoes erupt more often but it's less severe than continental um volcanic eruptions no i think it's because like hot spots i don't think are very common i don't think they're a very common type of eruption and so the hawaiian eruption is happening in the middle of a plate uh, whereas like other island volcanoes tend to happen on like uh, tectonic plate boundaries and those they can be fairly explosive. Not to the scale this type of Yellowstone one would be, but they can still be pretty explosive. Okay. Yeah. But that's just like an example of 
differing hotspots. You know, like we know Hawaii, know it has volcanism, but how does that compare to this if they're like kind of the same thing, pretty mm -hmm. much? Oh, and then these pictures, I think, I don't think this is Old Faithful. I think this is called a different one, but this tiny little dot right there is a person. And this is, um, oh yeah, Yellowstone's considered active today. Or no, it's considered dormant, but not extinct. So dormant just means like, it's not like going to, or currently uh, anytime soon going to erupt, but right now it's just in a stable state, whereas extinct is like, she's retired, she's done, she's dead. Uh, and then active is like, oh yeah, there's magma or something like that. I don't know exactly, but it's still has a lot of evidence of volcanic activities. So that's why it's not considered extinct. So it has these geysers, which are formed by, you know, hydrothermal activity. It has these hot springs. It has a bunch of other features. There are zones of uplift and subsidence of the ground, you know, inflates and deflates in certain places. And this is all because the water table is in between the um, surface and the magma chamber. That's, I don't know how deep it is or how far from the surface it is. So that water gets heated and it gets introduced to a lot of chemicals from the gases rising from the magma chamber. So it can have all of these different things going on in it. Pretty much. Ooh. Let me know if you have any questions. Okay. So eruptions we've had in human history. I'll talk about Eyjafjallajökull first. I say that pretty poorly and Good very smoothly. Eyjafjallajökull, something like that. Um, it was an Icelandic eruption. It happened in 2010 and it lasted for 59 days. It was a pretty small eruption. It released like 0.2 kilometers cubed of material. So very, very small compared to, you know, the 2,500 kilometers cubed of material that Yellowstone can release, but it shut down 80% of European air traffic during this time because it, from this picture, it has very thick, very dark ash, but then that ash, just because of the prevailing wind direction, went straight over continental Europe. So it shut down all air traffic. And this figure shows air traffic on the day of the eruption, so pretty busy. And then three days later, that all this shaded airspace is closed. So nothing can fly. And this had an economic impact impact of 5 billion US dollars. So this tiny, tiny eruption had this huge impact. So if Yellowstone were to erupt, it would shut down air traffic across the globe, pretty much. And those listening on the podcast, she said billion, $5 billion. Mm -hmm. Yes. Oh, well, and not only is ash dangerous to fly in because of visibility reasons, but volcanic ash is essentially glass. So if you have an engine and glass enters that engine, that glass can melt and then close the engine's airways and then destroy the engine, essentially. And then your plane won't fly anymore. Um, next, there's the eruption of Mount Pinatubo in the Philippines. And this mountain was actually pretty well monitored because a year prior, there were like signs that an eruption was happening, like some seismic activity, landslides. Uh, so people were kind of like, oh, like, I think we need to start monitoring this. And then they created like uh, 
an evacuation plan for residents that could be in danger. They educated local people on, you know, what's happening and why is it dangerous. They made sure to set up like evacuation areas. And um, so when the eruption did happen, there was, you know, pretty few casualties um, and people were well evacuated. However, it took a long time for this society to recover because of things called lahars, which are essentially landslides of volcanic of recently deposited volcanic material that when it gets wet, it moves the same way like a landslide would. So this picture is a church and half of the church is covered in this lahar that moved down the mountain into the town. So you can see that would probably take a really long time to clean up. Um, and then it you know, tends to destroy structures if they're not soundly built. And so this kept people in lahar zones in evacuation centers for a long time, not under great conditions. You know, this lasted for several years after the eruption, not just, you know, a few weeks or a few months. And then because of political interests over time, some towns were more prioritized over others. So that like further prolonged this recovery. And then we have the eruption of Mount Tambora in Tunisia that occurred. Oh yeah, Pinatubo was 1991. Mount Tambor, Indonesia was 1815, and it's the largest volcanic eruption that we've ever had during human history, as far as we, you know, know or whatever. And this figure is just kind of showing the ash distribution as we know it. And right here, my cursor of cursor is that's where Tambor is. And this is in yeah, Indonesia. And yeah, it was pretty devastating. A lot of people died. I think it's like 117,000 people died. And this was in the 1815 when Indonesia had a much smaller population than it does today. So you can only imagine that a lot more people probably would have died if it were to occur today. But then the number one cause of death was starvation because not only could Indonesia receive food but all of its agricultural crops were destroyed by either being covered by this ash, polluted by this ash, so on and so forth. So a lot of people had to go through pretty horrible methods in order to eat or live or whatnot. Some people sold themselves into slavery so that they could escape the island or get food because even if they were a slave, they would still have access to food or they would sell their children into slavery. Um, some people just killed their children so that they didn't have to watch them suffer. Um, from starvation. Some people would rob graves to try and find valuables to sell. Some people would eat poisonous vegetation that wouldn't kill them, but it would keep them alive, but it would also hurt them because that's just all they had access to. So yeah, it's pretty devastating. And then long-term effects wise, it decreased the average surface temperature of the globe by 0.5 degrees Celsius which doesn't sound like much, but that's the average temperature. There are places in higher latitudes that had more of an extreme change. So the summer, and it takes you know about a year for these volcanic aerosols to impact the climate. So the following year, 1816, is called the year without summer, like famously. Um, and that's because a lot of regions, it was a lot colder, a lot stormier, darker because of this ash, there were crazy sunsets. 
New England specifically had a frost over its summer harvest, killing its summer harvest. So there was localized starvations there because of a volcano that occurred, you know, erupted halfway around the world a year before. Same thing happened in Europe. And then it was even so dark and so stormy that inspired Mary Shelley to write Frankenstein. Which wow. I think that's a fun fact. We would not have gotten Frankenstein without this eruption. And then, you know, there's, I tried to loop this into my project at one point of like how volcanism has inspired art because you get these, you know, crazy sunsets because you have all these different particles in the atmosphere. And so that's inspired a lot of artists, like the screen painting, you know, that was inspired by uh, a volcanic eruption, which I think is very cool. But yeah, so these were not good. But then the good thing that does come from this or did come from the eruption of Mount Tambora is like five years after the eruption on the side of the island that's like against the prevailing wind or whatever. So the east side of the island, it received less ash and it, uh, so it's like, it could use its land sooner, but the ground was very fertile, fertile because of that volcanic ash introducing more nutrients to the soil so that was one good thing to come with. and then they had like one of you know some of the most productive years in agricultural history in Indonesia at this time so that's you know one good thing and then this is a figure comparing the eruptive volumes of the six eruptions I've talked about so this is a yafiala dokol it's this tiny little rectangle and remember the huge impact it had on air traffic, the $5 billion it cost, this teeny tiny new tiny eruption. Then you have Pinatubo, oh no, this is Pinatubo. Um, kept people out of their homes for several years because of lahar flows and political interests. Okay, and then you move on to Tambora. This is the biggest we've ever had in human history. And this is its largest estimate. It's, it's estimating that it's, 150 kilometers cubed, but it's really an estimate of 25 to 150 kilometers cubed. So this is its max. This was Yellowstone's smallest eruption. Yellowstone's most recent eruption, much bigger, 1,000 kilometers cubed. And then Yellowstone's largest eruption, which is 2,500 kilometers cubed compared to a Yafiologicals new teeny tiny eruption. And then the largest eruption we've ever had on like the planet is I think 5,000 kilometers cubed. And that's La Garita in Colorado. That was like mm, 28 million years ago or something. So much older, but um, yeah. So these were a lot bigger than we've ever known. So you can only imagine Yellowstones would have a huge impact. Just that big impact. Even Yellowstone's smallest is bigger than our largest. So. Okay, ash bar models. This is when I did some science that I was not very good at because I don't know how to model things. But this model was made, I didn't put the proper citation in, but I used data from a different paper and overlaid it onto Google Earth. And um, it's essentially 2001 wind fields with all of these eruptions are releasing all these modeled eruptions are releasing 330 kilometers cubed worth of material as ash. So 
just bigger than Yellowstone's smallest eruption. So figure A is showing a month-long eruption in April with an umbrella cloud height of 25 kilometers, which means that's the height the plume reaches and then starts to spread out in all directions. And then it has a heavily aggregated grain size. So it has dense and larger grains. Um, and New England receives, I think, one to three millimeters of ash. In B, it's a three-day eruption, but same umbrella cloud height and same grain size. And New England receives anywhere between 10 to one, or no, one to 10 uh, millimeters. So it's the same material released just over three days is essentially like the difference between these two. So that's why New England would receive more. Figure C shows a week-long eruption, heavily aggregated grain, but its height is 15 kilometers. And then this New England receives one to three millimeters. And figure D, the difference is there's an umbrella cloud height of 35 kilometers, so a lot higher, but New England still only receives one to three millimeters. Figure E, um, it's a week-long eruption, 25 kilometer umbrella cloud height, but the grain size is, uh, grain size distribution is weakly aggregated. So they're smaller and they're less dense. So they can move a lot further. Um, so in this New England receives, I believe 10 to 30 millimeters of ash. So a lot more. So grain size distribution um, really is the limiting factor or limiting, sure that might be the right term. And then all these like little dots underneath and these red dots, these are all the airports in the US. So pretty much all of them get impacted. All of these red dots are the, the busiest airports in the US, Atlanta busiest. But yeah, they all pretty much get impacted. Okay, well, what happened to New England? <clears throat> if you don't know where New England is, this is where it is on the US. Lovely. So for health. If you have pre-existing conditions, you're obviously the most likely to experience not great things. Something like silicosis, which is like related to joint pain, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, so harder to breathe essentially. Whereas people without um, pre-existing conditions, they'll you know likely have inflamed lungs, irritated eyes and skin. Uh, diseases will be more common because there will be overcrowding. So a lot of people from the Western states that get more impacted by this ash and all these other great volcanic things will have to relocate to the less impacted New England and Eastern states. And when you have more people living in more in, in a smaller area, then diseases can spread faster. So there'll be more disease and probably a lot more death from those diseases. You could develop fluorosis, which is, um, oh, maybe that's the one that's weakening of joints. I don't know. Ignore the skill, so skill, skill, silicosis part. I don't know about that. I think fluorosis is the weakening of joints. And that's if, if the ash is fluoride rich and you're exposed to it in your drinking water and you consume it over and over again then you can develop this. Yeah, which is a weakening of your joints and other things and bones. I don't know, it's not good. I don't recommend. And then, um, oh yeah, mass starvation because who gets most impacted by ash? 
the middle of the U.S. Where does most of our where do most of our crops grow? The middle of the U.S. Okay, so the middle of the U.S. is gonna get a little a little messed up, and the New England specifically has a lot of agriculture. Yeah, all the agriculture is gonna die because if and well, it's not necessarily it's gonna die, but if you have ash that lands on your crops, not only are they like contaminated and you have to clean them, but then depending on what the ash is, it could kill the crop. So this picture, I didn't leave the caption for it, but all of this crop, I don't know what it is, cabbage, uh, it all had to be thrown out because it's a lot cheaper to just restart planting than it is to try and clean the food that's already been grown. So all of this food had to be wasted because it got covered in ash. So then I'm sure there was something missing in their food. I don't know. It's been a while since I've done this. <laughs> yeah, agriculture. Oh, and then livestock. Livestock would have to be either relocated or it's going to die because its drinking water is going to be polluted and its grazing land is going to be polluted. And it could also just die from like burns and exposure. In New England, it probably won't die from burns, but um, just having that polluted land and water pretty bad for it so it would have to be relocated to I don't know where I don't know where you're gonna put that many cows uh climate the predicted cooling is three to five degrees celsius which if it's over four that means it can incite a new ice age um and this is just predicted but that's like the average and when we think about Mount Tambora that only changes changed the average by 0.5 so a change of three to five is like huge in these terms. A positive is it would put a pause on current global warming, but after several years, it would return back to the state it was in before the eruption. So it wouldn't you know, necessarily last forever unless we did go into a new ice age. I don't really know how that works. But yeah, it would get a lot cooler. cooler. So that means areas that aren't even impacted by ash their agriculture could still die within the next few years because of that colder weather. Um, relocation, I talked about transportation. Oh yeah, air traffic shut down. Boston Logan, 18th busiest airport in the US, shut down. Can't fly. Even with roads even just get slick from ash. You can't even drive and you would have to clear those roadways so you know people can access supplies and hospitals and it would be a huge mess. And then this is, I think Quito International Airport in Ecuador, maybe. And this was an eruption that was in like 2003. And this airport received three to five millimeters of ash. So not very much. And that's within the range that New England could receive. And it took eight days to just clean this airport up. So you can imagine that, you know, Boston Logan would take a lot longer. And then there are tons of airports in New England tons of airports in the U.S. in general, and there'd be tons of other roadways that would need to be cleared, so it'd be a lot of work. And economy, everything's going to impact the economy, given, you know, the U.S. and its place in the global market, and, you know, just domino effects, and affects everything, so that would, you know, we, we don't have time for that right now. So what can we do? We can't stop it but we can decrease its effects so we can prepare. You have to increase the amount of monitoring and alert systems in place across the US. You have to have these plans made and practiced in a way that 
scientists, you know, give the right advice to the public, to the government, and to first responders. People have to be educated to understand the hazards. And then you have to create risk assessments for like the most affected areas to see like who would have to evacuate and who would stay put. And then when the eruption does occur, you put those plans into action. You move residents to evacuation centers in New England and other Eastern states. You have to have funds organized for relief immediately. All necessary transportation has to be halted except for those you know, to get to hospitals and to get supplies distributed. So those would have to be cleared by somebody. Keep your, keep your masks just in case. And then you know, everyone will have to have eye protection probably. But yeah, be a big, big mess. And then recovery, the immediate danger has to be like declared officially over. And then you can start cleaning up the ash and anything that's damaged and move residents home. But if it's not possible to move them home because it, you know, was destroyed or their area is still covered with hazards, then um, evacuation communities have to be created and jobs have to be created and homes have to be created for these people to stay in for a longer term arrangement. And then of course, you know, in the years following, there'll be climate issues. I don't know, stock up on your food. So after all this, um, you know, just scaring you about what's gonna happen with Yellowstone, there is a 99.9% .9 chance that this will not happen in the 21st century. <laughs> However, the Yellowstone is a super volcano and I use that word with quotations, within the U.S. So it is very well monitored given the country that it's in and the, the amount of researchers that have access to it. So it is a very well monitored volcano. You know, we, we know what's going on with this caldera complex, but there are plenty of other less, less monitored caldera systems in the world that could erupt. And there are even many that we have no idea exist. So it's important to have mitigation strategies in place in the event that one of these shows signs of becoming active, that way we can decrease its effect. And then this picture shows all these red dots are like volcanoes from the past 10,000 years. And these yellow ones, or not yellow, pink ones are um, currently active caldera complexes. Um, some of the largest and then some that that are just kind of like known, like Santorini. Uh, apparently there's another one in New Mexico. I didn't realize that, now I know. But yeah, you have Yellowstone, you have Long Valley in California, La Pacana, Laguna del Mar, which are both in Chile. You have Taupo, which is in New Zealand. And that was, I think the most recent um, super volcano eruption. That was like maybe 26,000 years ago, I don't know. I didn't do my project on that. Yeah, a bunch of other ones. Toba, that's another super eruption from Indonesia. Um, yeah, there's a lot going on. And that's it. Good job. Thank you. Good job. Thank you so much. I forgot to say a lot of things. Yep. But it's okay. Very nice. Thank you. Okay. Bees. Who can say? the name of the Icelandic volcano. Not me. You, 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 One at a time. Eja falala jakul. Eja yo.
Yeah. I mean, you're close, Tori. A yafiala jaku. And you have to say it like a lot faster. Icelandic, but I can't do that. Hmm. How much ash is New England? Could New England receive from these models? Three millimeters. Okay, you have to hit one. You have to like raise your hand. One, two, three millimeters. Three to ten millimeters. Tori? Three millimeters. <laughs> one to 30 millimeters. Oh, so we're all right. <laughs> <laughs> How much material did a Yafiological release? 0.2 cubic kilometers. Yeah, and how much did Yellowstone's largest eruption release? 2,500 cubic kilometers. Correct. Correct. Someone was paying attention. Do that one. True or false? Hot spots move. False. false. True. Yes, it's false. Hot spots do not move. Mm -hmm. The tectonic plate moves. Yes, it's the tectonic plate. Mm -hmm. Look at the mama. So they look like they're moving, but they're not like really moving. <laughs> it's just a weird part in the crust that like likes to bubble up. Um, when did, or no, what was 1816 called? The it was in 1815? No. It was the year after. Oh. It was the year of no sun, summer. Oh, yeah, yeah, good job. Yeah, the year without summer, but I'll take the year of no summer. <laughs> um, what else? How much could the planet cool if Yellowstone erupted? Average. Three to five degrees Celsius. Mm -hmm. Mom showed that too. Good job, guys. What was the volcanic landslide that kept occurring in? After Pinatubo eruption, like what was it Lahar. called? Lahar. Lahar. Lahar, that is correct. Oh, I forgot to describe this figure. Okay, so this, I'll just make it big. This I really liked. It was a, what the heck? It was um, like a comic from a newspaper in the Philippines. And essentially what had happened is the government spent millions of dollars to construct a dike or kind of like a channeling system to move these lahars to a particular place. So when they did come off the mountain, they were kind of funneled into a particular area and taken away from communities. However, because of political interests and the need for some political officials to protect certain towns over others so that they could access certain votes and such, the dike was reinforced and only 40%, I might be overestimating, of, yeah, the dike was only reinforced in 40% of it, and the other 60%, it was not reinforced, and so two weeks after this was, like, done construction, a lahar occurred, and in the areas that were not reinforced, it immediately, like, breached the dike, and then, like, destroyed those towns, because the political official in charge of creating you know, this dike favored the reinforced towns over the non-reinforced towns.
that just goes to show that even in the event of a global catastrophe, people will still use it for their own gain. Mm. Disgusting. Yeah, that's yeah. That's all I got, quiz wise. But Buzzfeed quiz time. Oh sure. Oh, can I say something? Yes. Yeah. Do you remember when we were in Australia and the um, volcano had erupted? And I think it might have been in Chile or Peru, maybe. Yeah. And um, every time the earth spun around, they would have to halt the traffic going out, the air traffic going out of Sydney. And it was at least like a week to 10 days that every day there was this pocket of time where the ash was so thick over parts of Australia that they couldn't fly. Oh, interesting. You girls don't remember that? I, well, okay. I thought it was the Aophiologic coal that erupted when we were in Australia, but then I was like, oh my God, it erupted in 2010. So yeah, I, I do remember that though, but Mm -hmm. no, I think it would have been something in 2011 or 2012, but I think it. Yeah. Yeah. No, one definitely did occur in Australia. So okay. I noticed, I think that there was no um, possible volcanic activity at Antarctica. Is that because they don't have volcanoes or they can't get a hot spot because it's too cold? Actually, that's interesting that you say because it gets too cold. So at one, oh my God, this is okay. So at one point during Earth's history, this was like 700 million years ago. Um, the Earth was in, I, I think it was called the Cryogenian period. Um, and it's referred to as snowball Earth because it was essentially like completely covered in ice. And that just kind of, it can occur for a lot of reasons. You know, the, the climate does move in cycles and the cycles, the Milankovitch cycles is what they're called, um, just happen to line up in that time and that it allowed for more ice to form. And the more ice that forms, the more albedo the surface of the earth has, which means the more radiation it can reflect back into space, space rather than travel on the planet. And then that just creates this positive feedback loop, which can create more ice and which we're seeing the reverse of happening today. So you have all this ice forming and it just kind of snowballs and it creates this whole like planet that's covered in ice. And so the only way out of that was through volcanism, releasing CO2 and other greenhouse gases into the atmosphere. So volcanoes don't care about what's happening on the surface of the earth because the surface of the earth is so tiny compared to the mantle and all of the magma that's within the mantle, the power of the mantle that, you know, it's, it's not so much that it's so cold, but I don't think Antarctica's like on any tectonic plate boundaries. And that if you're not on a plate boundary, then that really limits the volcanism that you'll see. And then I don't think hotspots are very common. I don't know exactly, but I don't think they're very common. Like I know Iceland is considered a hot spot, but I always found that weird because it is on a plate boundary. So I don't know, but it's called a hot spot. Maybe just because there are no other volcanoes near it. I don't know, but yeah, that's my guess. But I'm no expert, don't come for me. And will masks actually protect us from 
the from ash. It can help. I mean, it's better than not wearing a mask. <laughs> I mean, I'm guessing sure. you'd have to be like an N95 mask. Yeah, it might have to be a really good one. Probably not. Yeah. And I'm sure there are masks that would fine with the... entirely, but in terms of like the masks we're used to using, mm-hmm. they would offer some production, but there yeah. certainly would be more heavy duty ones that mm-hmm. would offer more. But we don't, we, it's, this isn't something we have to worry about, but like, you just never know. So it, you know, it'd be nice to have some plan in case one of these calderas start showing signs because that doesn't mean, oh, that country has to worry about it. It's the whole world would have to worry about it. I do remember flying near Mount St. Helens before it erupted and flying near it after it erupted. And um, it did like have the little um, stream of ash for quite some time, like years afterwards. You saw the bulge before it erupted? Did you see the bulge? I don't know. What's the bulge? It's beer belly. <laughs> because like, yeah, because Mount St. Helens, it had, it like, a, it had a weird eruption because it kind of erupted like from its side. So all of the ash went like out the side of it rather than going up. Okay. Like uh, how we would imagine a typical volcano. And like they knew kind of what it was doing because it was bulging on the side of the mountain like a belly i didn't notice the bulge but we do have a few have things. we or have not. a few things made from the ash from mount st helens what what i know one is a little dragon really that's cool and i forget what the other oh i think it's a little bunny the other thing a bunny <laughs> that is something that i like one of my professors was telling me about it but a lot of like small burrowing rodents survive the eruption of Mount St. Helens because they were underground Mm -hmm. and this eruption happened like in the morning or something so these rodents were still like in their holes or they had just gotten back to their holes or whatever so they were able to survive the eruption yeah I, I also heard the opposite too some animals lost their lives because of all the ash and everything oh yeah because like the the most dangerous thing of these eruptions, I guess immediately is called a pyroclastic flow, which is a, a flow of material and gases that move really fast, like hundreds of kilometers, I'm thinking, I think, something like that, um, hundreds of kilometers an hour, and then are very hot. So like hundreds of degrees Celsius. So you have this hot, fast cloud of particles and gas moving you know all over the place destroying everything in its path and then i had a professor say that that's like technically considered the quickest death i think is what he said because like you just die like and your brain melts and (laughs) but like it would happen so fast yeah i remember seeing after maybe mount st helen or something that I was seeing a photo. So I don't think you remember that. Whatever. <laughs> I remember seeing a photo of people like around their house spraying the lava with hoses to keep it at bay. Uh, that's funny. Oh. Or at least like to give them like the people inside the house a little more time to like mm-hmm. pack up and get out. Yeah. Interesting. I wonder where that was. Hey, you better get out quick. 
I mean, some countries are a lot better at handling volcanoes than others. Like I would imagine like Indonesia and the Philippines are really good at it. Iceland is really good at it. Like when they knew, well, when they knew a Yafiela was going to erupt, all of like the local cattle was relocated, uh, which was cool. Um, and for like the first few days of the eruption, you could go up to it and like watch the eruption from right there, like hike out to it and be like, oh, wow. And then it just became more explosive because it started, or released more ash and became more explosive because it like started interacting with water and erupting from a different vent. And yeah. Okay. Very nice. Thank you. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. All right. Which national park should you visit based on the outdoor activities you choose? Choose something to do. Rock climbing, kayaking, skiing, or caving? Kayaking. Go skiing. Kayaking. Choose something to do. Horseback riding, hot springs, bicycling, snorkeling. Snorkel. Horseback. Snorkel. I guess horseback riding. <laughs> Hot spring season next. <laughs> what did you say, Dean? Snorkel. Yeah. Snorkel. Oh, even though the coral's dead. Choose something to do. Fly fishing, viewing wildlife, Serena, ornithology. <laughs> Look at wildflowers or camping. Uh, camping. Camping. Yes. Flowers. <laughs> <laughs> no camping for me. Tune in to last week's episode if you haven't listened to it yet to find out why. <laughs> Choose something to do. Running, hiking, golfing, parasailing. Hmm. None. I want to go parasailing. I'm going to go running. Sometimes I'm hiking and I'm like, this is taking forever. I wish I could just finish the last of it. But I have a backpack on. I'll choose running. I'm going with golfing. Hiking. Wow, we all just... <gasps> Tour a haunted hotel. Look at that. <laughs> the Tower of Terror. <laughs> I wonder if they knew that. Uh, or if they're just dumb. <laughs> That's really funny. You go to do choose something to do. Or a haunted hotel. Look at waterfalls. Watch the leaves change. Or spend the day at the beach. Now this one's hard. Not for me. <laughs> I'm going to spend the day at the beach. I'll look at some waterfalls. Say tour a haunted hotel, but not Tower of Terror. <laughs> actual haunted hotel. Yeah. Well, that'd be cool to tour Tower of Terror too. <gasps> oh, a toy. What did you pick, Serena? I picked the beach. I got Rocky Mountain National Park. This high altitude park in Colorado has beautiful mountain views, fly fishing, great restaurants, and hiking. It's the location of the famous Stanley Hotel where the movie The Shining was filmed. Oh, because you picked Haunted Hotel. Yeah, that's, I feel like it defaulted to this because I picked Haunted Hotel. Yeah. And hiking. Mm. Yeah. 
Hiking's kind of all of them. I think you would hike it all. <laughs> I had the, um, you know, I picked the beach day and kayaking, and I got Cuyahoga Valley. <gasps> oh, yeah. where are you going to kayak and spend the day on the beach in Ohio? <laughs> I don't know. But Cuyahoga Valley. You can probably kayak, but I don't think there's a beach. I don't know. Not the kind you want. <laughs> it's going to be a lake. Did you go to Cuyahoga, Serena? No, it was a little off the way. Or I know you were trying to, but it says this Ohio National Park features gorgeous scenery, amazing bicycle trails, wildflowers, a concert center, golfing, and vintage train rides through the valley. Oh, okay. Wildflowers and golfing. There you go. <laughs> That's why. I got the Virgin Islands. Me too. This breathtaking park takes up most of the island of St. John. It's most notably famous for the scuba diving and snorkeling where you can see diverse species among coral reefs. As long as the reefs are dead. They're not dead yet. There are a lot of programs in place to help them. I'm going to do this again so that I can get the Oh, that's not how it works. You have to go to the one it chooses. Sorry. Yeah, mom. Last time it gave you Tulum six times or something. <laughs> I know. The weird thing is Tulum is where I saw snakes. I looked over the um, edge of the cliff that <gasps> leads to the beach and there was a whole bunch of snakes right there. Really? You didn't show us that. Oh, no. It was when I went when I was young. Oh, okay. Before it was touristy. <laughs> so who did we miss with the National Park? Oh, which park did oh, we miss? McKenna we go to the comments. What? I think it was Yosemite or something. Go to the comments or so we can see the What did options. you guys get? Famous. Virgin Islands. Yeah, it's Serena and I both got that one. That's no fair. You guys oh, get yeah. that. I want to go to St. John. Yosemite is one. Oh, Yosemite. Oh, that Ohio one looks like a good place for waterfalls. I'm going to see if I pick beach instead of beach. Hotel. It's a beach. But maybe I should go toward the Shining Hotel when I go to Colorado. It's a little far from Denver. I know. We passed it when we were, I guess, the day we went out to the Rockies. Oh. It drove by. Like, we're like, the hotel seems familiar. It's by Estes Park. Yeah. Yeah. And then I was like, wait, I think I remember The Shining. Fellas uh, out here. That's yeah. probably it. <laughs> and then we oh, passed yeah. it on our way home. And I was like, yeah, that's it. That's <laughs> it. Don't you remember seeing that when we were out there when you were in fifth grade? Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's kind of why it like rung a bell. I was like, oh wait, I feel like that's out here because I feel like I've seen that before. Yeah, and it's just like you come up to this one like area and it's just right there. Just like the right road. off the road a bit, yeah. But I'm sure like 30 years ago it was more secluded even than it is now. But it, I don't, I don't think it's actually haunted. Now I got Virgin Islands because I picked the beach. <laughs> I answered everything else the same. Uh, that's funny. Yeah, I'm looking at like the tours. It just says it's a historic 
hotel. It doesn't say anything about haunted. Yeah. I'm sure they'd try to tell you that it's haunted just to, you know, have something else to see. Yeah. Well, Stephen King, like, he wrote, well, he stayed there and he had horrible nightmares the night he stayed there. And that's what inspired The Shining. Like, I think the, oh, no. That might oh, wait. There is a spirited night tour. <gasps> of course. Takes you to darkened spaces and introduces you to the active phenomena and tells tales of the spirited tales surrounding our hundred plus year old hotel. <laughs> Perfect for those interested in the paranormal tales. They use the word tales like five times in this yeah. like three sentence. Did we stop recording? Hello? No, it's still recording. Uh, maybe we should stop recording. Tours do not feature guest rooms. Tours do not feature ghosts. <laughs> okay. Thanks everyone for tuning in and supporting our little Sweena. Thank you for you did this. so good. What a little college graduate. Almost. Almost. One week. In one week. By the time this episode airs, she'll be graduated. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. Do all the things like rate, review, subscribe, download, follow us on YouTube, and we'll catch you next week. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this week's Long Distance Sisters. Be sure to subscribe for more episodes and leave a good review. And check out the video version on our YouTube channel. You can find all of our other social media information in the description. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye.